God is in the reversing business of overturning what was flipped on its head in the, in the fall, and part of that is redeeming women. Welcome back to the Prepare Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Hanton. We're pausing our series on mental health because the month of March is Women's Month in the U.S., and we want to celebrate women. And what a better way to do that than to talk about the importance of gender equity. My guest today is Major Pam Pinkson. Major Pam is a Salvation Army officer in the Canada and Bermuda Territory, and she actually holds two different appointments right now. But today we're going to talk to her as the advocate for gender equity. And while Major Pam is currently serving in the Canada and Bermuda Territory, her work has certainly filtered all throughout the Salvation Army world. And what she has to say goes beyond the Salvation Army borders into the church, the Big C Church. Now, this is a rather lengthy conversation, so I'm actually splitting it into two episodes. But it was an honor and a privilege to talk to Major Pam on this important topic of gender equity. So here's part one of my conversation with Major Pam. Welcome to the podcast, Pam. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to share a little bit about gender equity work in Canada. Yes. Yes. We're so glad that you've taken the time to join us today to discuss this important topic. I feel like it is um, more conversations are happening at the table and there's a lot to dig into. But before we get there, we just want to get to know you a little bit. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, tell our listeners who you are. Uh, Well, my name is Pam Pinkson is my last name. I'm married uh, to Corey. We have been officers for over 20 years in the Canada-Bermuda Territory. We have three grown children, two who are married. We have three grandchildren. Yeah, it's been quite the journey. Um, I I didn't have a background in the Salvation Army. I'm married in, and uh, I did come out of a different evangelical tradition. So, you know, but very, very much feel God's anointing to to be and calling to be a Salvation Army officer and have had the joy of living out that calling over these last 20 years. But it's it's been quite the journey. And I am uh, from a little island in the East Coast, a rock on the East Coast of Canada, Newfoundland and Labrador is where I'm from, the island of Newfoundland more specifically. Very small town. Mm -hmm. Grew up in a a community of 2,000 people. Oh, my word. (laughs) Wow. Um, I tell people here that I've met in the last couple of days that the population of my entire island is 500,000. And I'm now living in Kitchener, Ontario, which in the the KW region, there's like over 600,000 people in that region. So, wow. Yeah. You know, small town. (laughs) I do. I do. And, uh, you know, and the beauty of being a Salvation Army officer is that I've had a varied experience, Mm. not only having a number of appointments in Newfoundland. Mm. I trained in Newfoundland, but I've also had four core appointments, mm-hmm. a DY appointment in Newfoundland, but I've also had appointments on the west coast of Canada. So okay. Manitoba, it's, it, we call it west. Yep. It may be more Midwest if, you know, uh, to use your, your language yeah, here. Yeah, that that's, that's definitely an American <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and right now, appointed as the executive director and core officer at Kitchener Community Church and Family Care Center, 
I have two appointments, so that's one appointment. Mm -hmm. I have associates, so uh, the Army has given me field-based cadets as my associates to support me there. And I'm also the territorial advocate for gender equity for the entire territory. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of those spaces just fill me up. Yeah, I'm totally... uh, Totally in my groove right now. Yeah. What is your <laughs> husband? What's his title? So he is not a corps officer. He, he you know, we shared a number of corps appointments mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my heart beats more strongly for corps ministry, mm-hmm. and so he um, voiced to the army that, uh, you know, corps ministry was not was not a fit for him, and and he had kind of given his time in that space, mm-hmm. and. So the Army had given him appointment last year as an officer personnel secretary. So he works at THQ, kind of hybrid, right? Mm -hmm. So we're about an hour and 20 minutes west of THQ. So he goes in a few days a week and works from home the other side. That's one of the things that COVID's kind of opened up for everyone. It's uh, just some flexibility around work arrangements and things. And that privilege is not for, you know, it's not obviously... Uh, unfortunately, available to everyone, yeah, but in right. some lines of work, um, that's certainly the case. And so, yeah, so we're in separate appointments. I mean, not the first time for that, mm-hmm. but first mm-hmm. time in terms of leading a, a ministry or leading a core. I've, yeah, I've had, we're probably going to get into it today, yeah. but I've had appointments where there was very little expected of me mm-hmm. as a married woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not much in terms of meaningful yeah. work and ministry, but being somebody who God has given a wiring for, you know, just a ferocious appetite for learning and mm-hmm. development, I spent that time uh, afforded to me to study. So, you know, I finished an undergrad in biblical studies and then did a master's in theological studies and just feel very blessed to have actually, you know, been afforded that and, and able to teach at the training college for a little bit. And yeah, now, you know, just have kind of positioned me for, for where I am yeah. right now and the work that I'm doing right yeah. now, which I would have never seen the opportunity, yeah. but it's just an amazing opportunity to be engaged in it. Isn't that so cool how God does that? Yeah. Yeah. I've had to I've had to reflect. I I just love it when he causes us to pause and and reflect and gives us opportunities, right? To look yes. back and uh, yeah. you know, I've had one of those kind of Ebenezer moments lately where, you know, I was asked to write an article uh, for our publication, The Salvationist, on the right. gender equity work. And when they told me that it was going to be published in February, which is our candidate's call to commitment okay. month, I thought, oh, yeah, okay. So it kind of framed, you know, how I introduced, how I started that whole article and around my calling to officership and how, you know, God had kind of pursued me for years. I knew it was there. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, that calling came quite early in my life. Even when I wasn't Salvation Army, there was something, there was a knowing mm-hmm. within me as a growing child and teen that is so amazing to think about. But I kind of knew that the Salvation Army would be where I would end up. And then as 19 years old, I was actually a young mom. I, I had a, my first child when I was 17. Oh, wow. And that calling, you know, I was attending... The Salvation Army Church with my boyfriend on a Sunday night, and um, we uh, had just made a recommitment of our lives to Christ, and this calling just just hit me like between the eyes, in the middle of this service, 
And I walked out of the service and sat in the dark of the YP hall and did a little bit of wrestling with God. And I just told him, no, like, this is not my plan. I'm just getting back on my feet from having my life disrupted by having this child. And I had plans, you know, I wanted to, you know, things I wanted to do. And, and so I said no. And for eight years, I said no. I love that verse in Romans when Paul says about working out your salvation, Mm -hmm. that sometimes you have to wrestle with questions Mm -hmm. and um, seek out answers. And you had all that time to really dig deep. and, Mm -hmm. And I feel like part of that is God's grace in our lives, too, that he allows that time. He's not afraid of those questions. He's not afraid of the no's. He just, he wants us to be surrendered to him. So, yeah, you know, his hold on us is always stronger than our hold on him. Amen. And, uh, you know, I actually went to a place in my disobedience that was very, very dangerous. I almost shipwrecked my entire family. But by his grace, yeah, he didn't let go. And, uh, yeah, and, and led me back to that place. And not only of accepting my acceptance, <laughs> but, uh, you know, by grace, washing over all of the bad choices and my rebellion over that last eight years, yeah. right? Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm. And so by the time I actually got to that point where I surrendered it all, and by that time we had three children, to to follow God's call to officership, I was all in, yeah. all in. And so uh, coming into the Army and then going into my second appointment, which was at divisional headquarters where I didn't have basically a ministry to do, mm-hmm. was a huge crisis moment for me. Well, yeah, and let's just talk about that for a minute. So just tell us a little bit about how you came to be with this title of Advocate for Gender Equity. Okay, I'll try and keep it short, but I'm not a person of anybody's heard me preach. Just uh, know that's a challenge for me because uh, it's a bit right. of a long story. As I've already mentioned, I mean, my heart beats for, for frontline ministry. I realized at a very young age, you know, that God had a calling on me to be a preacher and a teacher. I've, you know, as difficult as that ministry is and being a congregational leader is very, very difficult. Yeah. It just uh, fills me up in a way that I know and I'm affirmed over and over that that, you know, that is how God has made me. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, of course, I've had these experiences throughout, you know, because I've had other appointments, a couple of divisional appointments, the CFOT appointment. And those were painful spaces for me because I realized, you know, there was not equity in the way that the Army viewed my husband and I, Mm -hmm. you know. And we are totally different. We have different gifts to bring. And we've always partnered equally in every area of our lives, our home life, our parenting, our core officership, you know. So this was a struggle for me and a surprise. I, you know, gender equity advocate as an appointment is something that's fairly new in Canada. Um, Commissioners Floyd and Tracy Tidd came to Canada in, I want to say, 2018 or 2019. And... um, they had, Canada is their home territory, but they had been out of the territory in Australia for probably about six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Australia, there was much more ec- equity between the genders. Like there were way more women in, in appointments of executive leadership than there were when they came back to Canada. Okay. And I think they were surprised at that. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, they set to, you know, change that. 
at the same time, you know, General Brian Peddle had come in as the, uh, you know, the international leader and part of his agenda or platform was he was going to advance the work of gender equity. So he wrote a lot. He spoke a lot about that when he first came in. He struck an international task force for gender equity. And so um, Commissioner Floyd and Tracy appointed uh, the first ever advocate for gender equity, which wasn't me. It was uh, an officer friend of mine. And I was so excited to see that. And I'd reach out to her and I said, like, if I can support you in any way, I've done a pile of reading. I've got resources. I've got a friend who is outside of the army, but in the corporate world. She does a lot of work in organizational change and shifting organizational culture. She's got PhDs in these, you know, and it's like, I, you know, I can really resource you and I can help you and support you in any way. Mm-hmm. And in fact, she did recruit this person as the chair of the task force because it was clear they wanted somebody outside of the Army to chair the work. Sure. Fast forward about a year, and, and Kristen, my predecessor, mm-hmm. so the first ever advocate, got a change of appointment. Mm-hmm. And the chair of the task force spoke out to territorial leaders and said, you, are, you said you're invested in this work. Mm-hmm. I'm upset at the fact that you've made this change. So convince me that you're invested. You need somebody who can take this work and move with it, like just kind of pick up and kind of, you know, follow the the trajectory of what we've already established. And so that's when they came looking for me. And so here I was with like a very dear friend of mine, you know, the day the appointments came out and uh, maybe even a couple hours before, truth be known, yeah. uh, she reached out and I was like, can you believe it? Here we are, the two of us, right? Yes, <laughs> Leading the dream this team. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that was another, you know, full year of, of leading together the work. We had a whole task force. Yeah, so she she fulfilled her commitment, which was the task force reporting to mm-hmm. executive leadership, which we we did in May of 2022. And she's still my phone a friend, you know, like for sure. <laughs> she'll yeah. always be on the line for yeah. me, so that's great. <laughs> it's good to partner. It's good to have someone to back you up or even just to, you know, like you said like call for encouragement or hey, am I am, is this right? Just someone in your back pocket that can come alongside you and Yeah, because I mean we needed each other. I was a Salvation Army officer with the lived experience of a right. woman officer. I was, you know, the person who had the theological and biblical, you know, background to support equality. And she had the organizational piece, right? Sure. And the expertise, even in, you know, she's got a master's in psychology. So she knew even how we should approach this because a lot of time this kind of truth telling is difficult to receive if you're the person or persons who have been in the place of power uh, or in the place of privilege and it's not a welcome message. And so how do we tell the story in a way that it'll be received but also very much with that crux of the truth, the core of the truth that's there, right? Um, And so I needed her, absolutely. I learned a, a ton from her. And she had earned, like, the respect and the listening ear of the territory leaders and and the cabinet. So, um, yeah. Well, let's just get into this subject of gender equity. So what do we mean when we say the word gender? So the word gender is pretty loaded right now in this cultural moment. Very. 
And I usually have to preface what I present or speak about by saying when I say gender and when the title gender equity was dreamed up, Mm -hmm. it was in terms of male and female relatedness. So like the biological sexes, right? It's an unfortunate term in that it, I feel like it needs qualifiers all the time, yeah. right? Because in culture today, gender can be defined as all of the, the number of ways people show up in their physical bodies, a number of identities that are attached to that. Yeah. That has nothing to do with my work. My work is very, very narrow in scope, and it's not, actually not even specifically around male and female relatedness, but it's male and female relatedness in the context of officership. Yeah. yeah, and I really feel like that is a that's a good place for us to start, like establishing where we're going to go in this podcast. I want our listeners to know that for this podcast, we're going to discuss your experience and your expertise under the umbrella of male-female the way women have been treated and the way women have been not equalized in the sense of gender equity. Yeah, yeah. So we talk about gender equity. We talk about gender equality. Do you think that there's a difference there? Yeah, there absolutely is a difference. And you'll notice that, you know, what my title is, is equity. And our Mm -hmm. paper was, you know, the task force, gender equity task force report. And in fact, when we framed the report, which which spans about 67 pages, up front, we shared some theory around gender equity and explained some of those nuances. And so equality means the equal opportunity or the equal access of male and female to leadership development, education, appointments. Mm-hmm. And so some would think, well, that's fair enough. You know, that's, that's being fair. But if the women have been um, historically disadvantaged mm-hmm. and perhaps have not had equal access over mm-hmm. years and years and have not had the development and have not had the opportunity or the experience, then they're actually lagging behind. Mm. So in order to bring things to equity, there's actually a, a, there's a making up that has to happen. Yeah. And so we've even called for a bit of a positive bias mm. towards women. Like perhaps for the next while, we need to be extending even more so to women yeah. these opportunities so that they can reach their potential. They can, you know, because many, many women have the capacity and the gifting and the calling to leadership, mm. but just have not had the opportunity. They have not been seen in that light. And so we may actually uh, have to do more work in giving a positive bias to them to bring them up too, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to actually look unequal in terms of men and women side by side. And if you've ever seen some of the diagrams around what the difference is between equity, equality, and justice. So I have in my mind this picture of these two kids and they're trying to look over a fence And so equality is giving them both the same height of a stool Mm -hmm. to look over the fence. Well, actually, one of those children is actually shorter than the other. So the stool is equal, right? Yeah. But there's still not equality in terms of, you know, seeing over the fence. Right. And so in either uh, for equity to happen, you actually have to give the, the shorter child the higher riser. Yes. Right. Yeah, so there is a difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's probably going to not look equal for now, 
but we have this, you know, this leg that we have to make up for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. I'm a very visual person, so anytime someone gives me me too. Any any kind of visual, you know, examples, I'm like right there. So hopefully our listeners can grab a hold of that as well. So let's talk about men for a minute. I remember the old the old phrase behind every every man there's a good woman, you know, or you know, we used to say stuff like that. Yeah. And and you know, here's the thing. I mean, some of us are paired in mm-hmm. ways that complement each other very, Absolutely. very well. My husband and I are an example of that. But he also celebrated and knew what I brought mm-hmm. to the table and made space for me to do that. In fact, you know, this past year is the first time that we've been in separate appointments when it comes to, like, I'm leading a ministry unit on my own. And I found right away that there were things that I used to lean on him for that he's no longer there. So I've had to develop those areas or find somebody who can help in that way. So we were partners in every way. And as you study the scriptures, and this is kind of the theological, like, underpinnings of what we're doing And you realize that when God created, you know, male and female and gave them the charge of being co-regents and co-stewards of his creation together, there was no hierarchy in the original design. And in fact, when you read about, you know, it's not good for Adam to be alone Mm -hmm. and some of the wording around that we've translated over the years as helper or helpmate in fact, when you when you listen to somebody who actually knows the Hebrew languages, they'll tell you that what happened in um, the creation narrative is that woman didn't come from Adam's side. Woman came when Adam was split. And I always make the little joke, you know, and split the Adam, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and so there was one, and then there was two, and then in marriage there is one, yes. right? Yeah. And the whole idea of, of she being the Azer Kenegdo to, to, for Adam, uh, which means the warrior of corresponding strength to him. And the other places that the language around uh, Azer shows up in the Old Testament is actually a title that attributed to God wow. who rescues Israel in battle. Wow. So you're talking like strong corresponding strength yeah. to come alongside and partner for the sake of of the gospel for the sake of the kingdom. And we do need each other, and we are better together. But there is no hierarchy in the original design. Hierarchy came as a result of the fall within the curse. And then we've had to deal with the ramifications of that hierarchy over the centuries. And, you know, even the writers of the Bible came out of that context. They're speaking from that patriarchal cultural lens. Mm And then Jesus shows up. Yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> and brings the new, you know, the new creation, redeeming yeah. what's been broken. Yes. And then elevating women to their proper place beside men in this work, in this kingdom work. And once you look at the gospels through that lens, everything changes. Yeah. You know, that the scales just fall off and you can see it everywhere. You know, in Paul, the same way, like he's speaking in a context, you know, in a, in a Greco-Roman context, right, that was shaped by patriarchal norms or whatever. But there are things that he is saying that if you pay attention to it in its context, it's radical. Yeah. And then, of course, Acts 2, the birth of the church and the Holy Spirit outpouring on sons and daughters, you know, yeah. the daughters will prophesy. 
And so there are some troublesome passages in terms of reading it through, like, you know, the, the what I would call headship theology, which mm-hmm. I feel like we've got that in our, in our thinking, in our organization. Mm-hmm. That needs to be challenged. And there's some great, great work uh, scholars are doing these mm-hmm. days on, on mm-hmm. how, to, how to interpret that. But, you know, there is no equity for the genders as long as we hold to that headship idea. Right. And we need to release, you know, our men and our women to, to lead and to serve beside each other as God has designed and mm-hmm. equipped and given spaces to do so. Yeah. And that is a um, hard habit to break. <laughs> when you talk of years of doing it this way. So let's just open that up just a little bit. In your experience, how do you feel the church as a whole in general, with big C church, how do you feel like gender equity gets perceived within the universal Christian church? You know, there's a lot of different things that impact how we got to where we are. I mean, and it's interesting because as much as we, you know, grip our, our Bibles and, and say, you know, we want only the truth as revealed mm-hmm. in Scripture, we are all we all have a blind spot in terms of how culture has shaped our thinking and understanding. Yeah, sure. And, you know, when you read some of the history around the ideas of that were, you know, impacted, right. yeah. um, how Christians perceived women right up until maybe the last 50, 60 years, that there was something inferior, inherently inferior about women. And that carried through, and a a lot of, if you trace the idea of what we call complementarianism, which is only a new term, but, you know, just the subordination of women and this, you know, the superiority, you know, and that men are better suited Mm. for leadership and all of these things because they are inherently made that way. I mean, this can trace through Christian thinking. Yeah, and we just accept it. You know, I mean, over all of this time. Right. Over all this time, And what harm and what damage that's resulted for women. You know, because if you have that belief, if you have that bias, whether, you know, unconscious or whatever, um, if you've internalized a belief that women, and not not just women, okay, when you talk about equity, mm-hmm. um, more broadly speaking, that can be, you know, indigenous people, people of color, right? any inherent uh, bias that we have that any of God's beautiful, you know, created human beings are inferior in some way, mm-hmm. then that will come out in our behavior and our treatment of them, whether we realize that or not. We can condone somehow, rationalize internally, mistreating. And so what we've seen for my brothers and sisters in, in other church traditions, there is a, you know, a school of thinking that you know, in places where we have this view of women, um, that somehow they're inherently weak, then there are ways of behaving in these church circles in terms of like all of that, the unveiling, well, I want to use the word apocalypse, you know, there's just been this unveiling Mm. of this culture of abuse in our churches and power over, yeah, power over others. Yeah. How does that, you know, without realizing how does the outworking of that, you know, in the way that we function as a church and, and serve together and. Yeah. 
Well, and even just to think about Jesus, like what you were saying before. And, you know, I'm watching The Chosen right now. Oh, me too. It's amazing. Oh, my goodness. The way Jesus looks at women, the way he views them and values them and calls them to be disciples alongside the others in a day and age when that would have been radical. And I knew this. I mean, you know, you skim the scriptures, you know this. He had women who financed his ministry. And then, you know, Mary Magdalene, the way that he restores her dignity over, you know, her experience with men was so horrific up to that point. It's just so different. And uh, so, yeah, uh, it's it's reawakened for me, you know, this appreciation of how Jesus treated women and how he was willing to do that in opposition to the, the social, cultural, you know, kind yeah. of setting that he was in. Yeah. He broke all of those yes. norms, you yeah. know. He came and he just, like you said, just reversed it, just turned it upside down. When God calling the Israelites out of what they were and setting them apart for for something new, I feel like even then they weren't ready. They weren't ready for what Jesus was going to do. But God was setting the table. You know, he was just laying it out. Okay, this is coming. Just buckle up. This is coming, (laughs) you know. This is going to get good. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I don't know if they fully got it until, like, the resurrection. Yeah, right. And we're still grappling, right? But God is just so gracious. Amen. And he continues to call us back to Jesus Mm -hmm. as the embodiment of the kingdom, as the visible image of the invisible God. Yeah. And some of my fear in what's happening in culture today and in the church culture is that we've kind of elevated, and I'm going to say something that, you know, might might get confusing, I'm sorry, but we've elevated the written word, uh, which is the recording mm. of the story of God and the revelation of who God is over the living word, mm. capital W, Logos, Jesus as the Son yeah. revealed to us, you know. And when I don't hear the name of Jesus and reference to the Gospels and what he revealed for us in terms of the will of God and the kingdom way, I get really nervous because I think we have made the, we what is it, the tail is wagging the dog. Yeah. We've missed the point. Yeah. And again, I don't want anyone to think that I don't have a high view of scripture. I do. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, it enriches my life daily and, and God is, it's alive and the spirit yeah. is working through it. But you know, Jesus says you study the scriptures and yet I'm right here and you've missed me. Right. We just need to get realigned mm. to who who Jesus is and what he's revealing to us and and what he's saying to us about our path. You know, I mean, he was truly human, truly God, and he showed us yes. the way to be human, yes. uh, redeemed in this world. And, and so with the Spirit's help, to come to an understanding of what is God's ultimate ethic. Where I've landed is we are in the age of, of the kingdom that's not yet fully come, but it's come, and that God is in the reversing business of overturning what was flipped on its head in the, in the fall, and part of that is redeeming women to that side-by-side, yeah. you yep. know, and partners in the gospel. But... I know, right, there's, there's many that feel there's a threat 
um, to biblical truth. But we always have to uh, read Scripture through the lens of, you know, who Jesus is. The Scriptures point to Mm -hmm. who he is Mm -hmm. as the final and full revelation of God to us. Who is a champion for equity in all forms. Yes. Yes. Okay, this feels like a good place to stop, but please come back for episode two because we still have a lot of really good ground to cover on this topic of gender equity. But that's all for today, so I really hope that this podcast has left you feeling prepared and equipped for tomorrow, and I'll see you real soon. God bless you.